recall of Honda Ridgeline trucks because of a very seemingly serious problem that causes serious issues and costs a lot to get fixed. Also, J.P. Morgan getting on the money train and backing a cryptocurrency for the first time, plus the behind of the big baby shower for Meghan Markle and the behind the big bucks it costs for throwing it. That was a big thing. Those were all big things, all three of those big stories this week, but not quite big enough to make it into the top 10 per se you. So what were the top 10 stories that you wanted to talk about this week? And spoiler alert, yes, we are going Jesse Smollett. We don't have a choice. We had a lot of him in there, and you guys jumped on a lot of that as well. But we'll explain how that worked out and more in mere moments with the wrap-up show from thisistheconversation.com with me, Jacob and Payne. This is a show for the week ending February 23rd, 2019. And welcome to the show. I am Jay Cleveland Payne, as already said before, and also said before, this is the wrap-up show from thisisaconversation.com. Now, how does the show get about? Why is it here? Why are we hanging out together today? Well, I'm glad you're here, number one, but we're here because we want to make sure, we all the folks behind the conversation, want to make sure that we're having the best conversations with the best people around the world. That's you guys, and we're talking about what it is you want to talk about. So call it a social experiment. Call it just a little bit of fun. Call it me being geeky with numbers and news stories. But what we do with the conversation, the website, thisistheconversation.com, is we schedule news stories to be posted all day, all night long on social media. On Facebook, it's at this is the conversation. On Twitter, it's TH underscore conversation. So all day long, every 50 minutes or so, we are posting a new news story from some source around the world. Multiple sources, so we get a lot of mix there. And multiple places, because this is a worldwide podcast. We get a lot of love from people in places very far from the United States. A lot of love from Australia, a lot of European love, and a lot of love in some very foreign languages that... Trust me, I don't understand, but you guys are into the news, so we like to talk to you about it. So as you see the stories in your social media feeds for Twitter and Facebook, all you have to do is react to it, like it, love it, hate it, share it, respond to it, respond to me, do some sort of engagement with it, and the stories with the most engagement over the week get the higher scores, and we come up with a real algorithm, a real spreadsheet that plops in some numbers, does some figuring, and tells us which stories are the top 10. You'll get that coming up right now, counting them down 10 to 1 uh, in just a moment in segment 1. Segment 2 is uh, where we go over the almost irrelevant story of the week, which is usually one of the last stories posted. This one, not one of the very last stories this week, story number 200 in the count this week, but this one didn't get as much love as some other ones, and we had a lot of things going on, a lot of breaking things this week, which is probably why this got missed out. A later story, not quite the latest story. Plus, we'll talk about what we call our housekeeping segment, kind of explaining what it is that we had to break to fix things, to get things in line. We had, um, we almost had a tie in some cases, then we reshuffled a few things, make sure that was going on. We actually have a tie in the in the middle or the, the 15, the 11 to 15, but we're not going to focus on that because ties don't matter there. They're not quite in the top 10. But we will talk about how we got to the Jesse Smollett story and where it is and how it would have gotten if we didn't do some some little strategy on that one. Segment three will be the rounding out the top 15. That's 11 through 15. Stories not quite big enough to get into the top 10, where they, what they were, why they may be there, why they were slightly below. And, of course, the shout-outs to people who show us love throughout the week by hanging out in all of our social media and replying to things. Don't forget, we're also on Instagram at This Is A Conversation, but you don't get a chance to really vote there. You can see what the top five stories are of the week. 
and the main website, which is gaining in popularity and gaining features day by day, is at thisisaconversation.com. Remember, thisisaconversation.com to get to the main website. Still having some transition issues, so bear with us. Make sure you go to the right site. You'll have the updated information at thisisaconversation.com. Without further ado, we're going to get into the countdown, counting them down, as we said, from 10 to 1, uh, the stories that were the most important for this week. Starting off with the 10 story, and this is a headline. This will be pretty quick because, as I've said many times, if you can get an instance, if you get a knowledge, if something can tell you something, something in 10, 15 seconds, just take it and go away. Don't ask questions that are no longer necessary. The headline is, Himalayan salt is just salt, but pink. This we got from Lifehacker. We posted on Saturday, February the 16th, and Himalayan salt is just salt. Nothing really special about it. It's just pink. There you go. How about that for brevity? Let's move on to number nine. Malia Obama's secret Facebook account reveals just how much former first daughter hates Donald Trump. We had to kind of butcher up the headline because it was a really long one that we pulled. But we put this on the line, on the website, on the social media on Monday, February the 18th. It gets a bump of response of 2% from the number 10 story. We're also going to skim this one a bit because the story gets long and convoluted and kind of the way it's done sometimes. The source is Daily Mail, which is dailymail.co.uk because they write that way. They actually read much better than us here in the States, if you say. But they have a little quick bit of an, uh, you know, bullet points at the beginning. And we'll kind of go into details of the story, which talks about this Facebook page that appears to have been used by Malaya um, Obama in her last year of high school and a little bit of her gap year before she went off to college. She was, of course, interning at the Weinstein Company in New York. Uh, there's photos of her traveling with friends doing stuff before she started college. So this is not what she's using now, apparently. She has another secret one, apparently, for that one. And a lot of the friends that she talks to are, you know, those connected folks, like 20-year-old uh, Finnegan Biden, who is Joe Biden's granddaughter, because they're the same age. They became friends going to school together. And so she had some chats, some secret chats, what's going on, and basically used that account to call Donald Trump the devil, like literally saying he's evil. There you go. She had a secret Facebook account. All y'all folks in her business, if she wants to smoke, let her smoke. If she wants to drink, let her drink. She's in college. She's young. Leave her be. Moving on again. So I had a misstep, which I'll explain later on the, how it got there in the when we get to the housekeeping part. But we do have a tie inside of the top 10 this week, a official tie. They get shifted through by the oldest story, essentially, is the one that gets a higher point. So 7 and 8 are essentially a tie for the week. They both have a bumper response of 4.9% higher than the number 9 story. So we're going to go with them in order of the lower seed based on the younger story that one is four police officers and multiple others shot at manufacturing plant in chicago suburb of aurora with all the things that went on this week and chicago being the focus we'll get to him in a minute this is one that uh one of the more normalish things that would get someone's focus for something like this uh let's read a few lines from usa today's story it's been updated a few times since this happened but we're gonna read a few lines from the story from aurora illinois Five people were killed and six police officers injured after a fired factory worker sprayed bullets into the massive warehouse where he worked in southwest Chicago suburb, police said. Officers found themselves immediately in the afternoon gun battle after arriving at the Henry Pratt Company plant in Aurora, Illinois, only four minutes after terrified workers called police for help, said Police Chief Christian Zimmon. 
The gunman, identified as 45-year-old Gary Montez Martin, was shot and killed by police, but not before he shot five of the responding officers. All of the injured police are expected to survive. Authorities said Martin had been told that he was being let go from work just before the shooting began. Here's a quote from Zimmon. I hate that we have to use the term classic workplace shooting. That pains me to do so at this time. I don't know. Again, we can only surmise that with a gentleman who's being terminated, that this was something he intended to do, Simmons said. So this is another sad story, another just tragic story of someone in the situation. We're not sure exactly what the big details are in the background of the gunman. We just know this was an issue where it was a classic workplace shooting. A man was having issues at work. He was terminated, and because he apparently was preparing for something bad, did something bad. Our hearts, our prayers, our thoughts go out to the people who are dealing with the cleanup of this issue. And while they will never all go away, we hope that they'll find ways to lessen lessen the pain and lessen the number of these happening. I guess they've been lessened, if you will, but it's hard to tell the frequency that we have these things here. This is where we are. This is who we are in a sense. So hopefully we can find a way to collectively get a little better. This is a international show, so we get a lot of love and attention from stories that are put posted that have um, far-reaching and seemingly not too much to do with us here in the States. Some of them are more interesting than others. Some of them are just kind of, wow, didn't know that. This is one I got to love from you guys. And as we said, it's tied with the number eight story. So at the seventh spot, a virtual tie with eight, posted on Thursday, February 21st, is the headline, Fire Guts Ancient Part of Bangladesh Capital Killing 81. A few lines from the story that we pulled off the AP in Dharma, Bangladesh. In the days since a devastating fire erupted in the oldest part of Bangladesh's capital, Awa Halsen has been searching for his younger brother. Halsen told, stood outside the Dharka Medical College Hospital on Thursday evening, along with the others holding pictures of family members missing after the blaze. Others brought relatives out of the morgue in coffin. The body of his acquaintance has been found, but I can't find him, Halsen said. The fire raced through densely packed buildings in a centuries-old district of Dhaka, killing at least 67 officials and witnesses said on Thursday. The fire at the Chuabas area was mostly under control after more than 10 hours of frantic firefighting efforts. About 50 people were injured, some critically burned. The district dating to the Muga era is crammed with buildings separated by narrow airways with residents commonly above shops, restaurants, or warehouses on the ground floors. Denizens of the Muslim-majority nation throng to Chaobakzar each year for traditional goods to celebrate iftar when the daily fast is broken during Ramadan. This goes on and on to talk more about the history of the village, of the, of the part of town, and more things here into the fire. Once again, our thoughts and prayers go out to the people who are dealing with this. This is um, one of those things that I guess from this point of view, from this side of the pond, if you will, uh, I say it's just kind of quaint, and maybe it's a lot of that's just me and my personal background. It's just one of those things that you see as something they have over there, and it's a real tragedy, a big enough that the story we picked up was a big story nationwide or, or, or worldwide, and a lot of you guys did pick up on it as well. With 200 different stories posted, this is one that made it into the top 10. So it shows that there's a lot of people out there around the world paying attention to this little old podcast coming out of Little Rock, Arkansas. Meanwhile, not quite Little Rock, Arkansas, but state to state and much love to Canada. I have much love to um, our folks to the north, uh, even though I think we're still technically at war. I'm not sure how that's working out with um, with 
Trump and his tariffs and whatnot. But here's a story on a way that I guess we could make peace and also make a little cash on the side. U.S. lawmakers aren't formally opposed to selling Montana to Canada. Now, I butchered this, the headline up a little bit. Um, the headline from the posting in USA Today is as this, sell Montana to Canada? State lawmakers aren't opposed to it, formally at least. Made it a little bit more content content uh, rich, I hope. The story was actually posted on Wednesday, February the 20th. It's, it's a bumper response from our 7 and 8 tide story of 15.89%. Let me read a few lines from the story so you can get more context and know that this isn't exactly something that's up, up for grabs, but no one's actually saying it's not a bad idea. Montana lawmakers on Wednesday shot down a resolution formally opposing the sale of the state of to Canada and intended tongue-in-chief pushback to a now viral petition. The petition launched one week ago on campaign on change.org, should say, calls for the sale of the treasure state to the neighbors up north for a cool $1 trillion, which would then supposedly help eliminate the national debt. Quote, we have too much debt and Montana is useless, the petition's founder, identified as Ian Hammond, wrote. More quote, just tell them it has beavers or something. The petition drew 11,000-plus signatures, sparking a gobsmack column in the Great Falls Tribune and catching attention of Representative Forrest Manderville, a Republican from Columbus and chair of the state's House Administrative Committee. He had an idea, a vision, a proposal for a little fun, a formal House resolution from lawmakers opposing the petition's goal. As the 20-person committee convened on Tuesday morning, Manville spelled out just what the resolution could entail. And they go deeper into stuff, basically saying that they're not so happy with being sold to Canada. Here's the thing. They're not exactly against it. They just don't particularly like to see the state sold to Canada. So there is hope, I guess, if you're looking to raise a little cash and, um, you know, raid the cupboard and get rid of a few extra excess states like Montana, Wisconsin, I don't know, Florida could probably go, although it's a little south, though that would be kind of a weird weird match. But if you're looking to unload on a couple useless states, well, apparently we've got a plan for it. We'll see if the market actually holds up. Despite our ability, our, our, our goal to get less of the quote-unquote stuff on the Chiron in our podcast, getting more news stories outside the realm, Here's one that Chironish jumped onto fairly quickly because the Chiron stuck on Trump or the mainstream media is stuck on Trump stories. This is the only direct Trump story. One's kind of kind of there. We'll get to that in a bit. But story in the five spot this week. Here's the headline. Trump rages against SNL after latest ba Alec Baldwin skit. Sunday, February the 17th, obviously the day after uh, Saturday Night Live airs. 4.44% jump in response from the number six story. We pulled it from the New York Post, but there was so much talk about Trump being mad at this one. In fact, it turned into another story where a few days later, Alec Baldwin was fearing for his life and his family because Trump's kind of power powerful. Let me read a few lines from this story and we'll butcher the other story kind of from memory. President Trump on Sunday accused TV networks of teaming up against his administration and questioned why shows like Saturday Night Live can take shots at him and other Republicans without retribution. That's a quote from him. Nothing funny about tired Saturday Night Live on fake news NBC. Question is, how do networks get away with these total Republican hit jobs without retribution? Likewise, for many other shows, very unfair and shows sh and should be looked into. This is the real collusion. Exclamation point. This is what the president wrote in a statement 
on his Twitter because he does that. Moments later, he drove the point home in an all-caps tweet, which went, The rigged and corrupt media is the enemy of the people, which was basically where the headlines went from that point there, that the enemy of the people line, which was said by another uh, famous president who um, had some issues here in the States. That was uh, um, Nixon as he was being impeached. So hopefully that's not foreshadowing there. Um, but but this was the issue. Uh, Trump, once again, not happy with Saturday Night Live. This is, of course, he was mocking, this skit was mocking the, the Rose Garden speech that was uh, uh, the, basically another rambling speech by Donald Trump, to be, to be totally honest. that's It doesn't really matter what he was talking about. He was rambly, it was silly, and it was essentially the one where he said he didn't really have to do this state of emergency thing to get money, but... You know, if it do is it, then um, I can do this thing faster, get my money quicker. But it's not a real emergency. I just want to speed up the process, which, of course, Basie said it's not an emergency. Of course, 12 states sued the next morning after this that thing. But this That's the only direct Trump thing this week, and it's not something he actually did, but him just complaining about people making fun of something he actually did. This next story is my favorite story of the week, my absolute top tip favorite of the week. You guys digged it pretty much as well. It's in the four spot this week, and it that's took a lot of effort with what it had going on this week. The headline as follows. Rat lying next to an empty bottle of Hennessy goes viral as, quote, just another day in New York City. CBS News, the source for our pickup on it. Uh, we posted the story on Saturday, February the 16th. Uh, it gets a bump response from the five story of 22.78%. A few lines from the CBS story. And if you want to see the actual picture, you can go to our website, thisistheconversation.com, and look for the link for today's podcast if you're chasing your, in your podcatcher. The link for this week's podcast is there, and we have the links to all the stories we discuss, including 11 through 15 and the number 20 story, 200 story this week, I should say, the almost relevant story, all there at the website link for this week. But look for it at thisistheconversation.com. Let's get back to this story, a few lines from this story. There's been Pizza Rat and Flood Rat, but now Henny Rat is here to dethrone them both. A picture of a rat lying on the sidewalk next to an empty bottle of Hennessy, Cognac, is going viral for perfectly embodying the dark underside of Valentine's Day. Just another day in New York City, Chris Williamson tweeted with a photo which was taken on the corner of Monroe Street and Ralph Avenue in Brooklyn on Thursday. Here lies a real one, Nicole Heller told wrote on Instagram, snapping a different photo of the rat with an empty bo- bottle, along with a crushed pack of Newport cigarettes. Many have taken to Twitter to debate on how the rat found himself in this particular situation. Comedian Patton Oswalt jokingly announced a sequel to Pixar's Ratatouille in which Remy is going through a rough patch. It gets uh, more and more weirder and weirder and twisted from there. Check it out yourself. As we said, you can search for the um, Hennessy Rat, Henny Rat, if you will, or stop by our website, thisisaconversation.com. Click the link for this week's podcast and you will see uh, the link to the CBS News article that we actually use for our copy there. Moving on to the number three story this week. This one uh, brings down the tone significantly, so bear with us. This is one of those, we're not really, you know, trigger warning type folks, but this is one that may get under your skin. It's a three story, as we said. It was posted on Saturday, the 16th of February. Bump a response from the four story of 14.47%. The headline, Man Who Pimped Out Sixth Grader Gets 12 Years in Prison. This is a story that we've posted a couple times, or let's just say updated as the, the story was going through the system. 
This this one coming from the New York Post. We're going to read a few lines from the hopefully finale after he's been, um, you know, got got his jail time. A cruel Brooklyn pimp was sentenced Friday to 12 years in prison for luring a Manhattan sixth grader to his clutches with the promise of baby, a babysitting gig, then sexually assaulting her and forcing her into prostitution. Anthony Charles, 24, and co-defendant William McNeil, who previously pleaded guilty, trafficked a teen girl over the course of 11 months beginning in June 2015, authorities said. The courageous victim choked up as she read an emotional statement in Manhattan Superior Court on Friday. Here's from her statement. They took away my virginity, my dignity, my freedom, my happiness, and most importantly, my childhood. I never understood how people can hear you cry for help and do nothing. Men posed as a mother on Facebook advertising a babysitting job. When the girl arrived at McNeil Brooklyn's apartment for the position, the defendants threatened her at gunpoint, sexually assaulted her, then pimped her out. They forced the teen to perform sex acts in cars, hotels, using flattery and violence to keep her in line. She was raped four to seven times a day, and when her family and friends found out, they ostracized her. So this, you can you can kind of go guess where this is going right here. And um, it's very hard to do these stories, although it's very important to do these stories. Human trafficking is a very, very serious issue. We talked about it slightly during Super Bowl weekend. Um, in fact, one, one of my friends who helps do some of the stuff and reads the blog and does what going on, called me out on something um, about that. And, and I took her, I took her, took her points very seriously in this things. There is no excuse for what happened here. There 12 years is way too short a time for what happened here. That is what was the crime dealt with in this, um, in this courtroom in, in Manhattan. And so that's how the system works. I have no, good transition out of this one so we're just going to move on and luckily well we still have one big story to talk about that's really that's going to get my goat but luckily the number two story is a bit it's a large um rising let up of of the 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 darkness from the number three story so the two story is the number one story on Facebook this week. Uh, by the way, uh, it it's a bump response just slightly of 0.82 percent uh, in the three position. And this is the headline posted: 75 years ago, one of the best dance routines ever, ever was filmed, unrehearsed on the first take. Sunday, February 17th. If I didn't say that part already, now this is one that I got from literally watching a, a friend's feed, and it's a little old. It's about a week or so old. So, so bear with me on that one, but it's still relevant enough. So 75 years ago, we're going to talk about this one. And I'm so glad I got this from Kwame, my friend Kwame, who um, helps me on all sorts of things. And this is a big help because this helps me get me out of that funk from the number three story. Let me read a few lines from, um, well, there's only basically three lines from the story. Let me read a few lines and tell you about what's going on here. Fred Astaire said it was the greatest dancing he'd ever seen on film. In a dance performance for the ages, the Nicholas Brothers, Fayard and Harold, dazzled audiences with their acrobatic routine to Cap Calloway's hit song, Jump and Jive. Not only that, but the routine was unrehearsed, and what you see was the first take. The performance was from the 1943 musical film Stormy Weather. In 2001, Stormy Weather was selected for the United States National Film Registry by the Library of Congress as being, quote, culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. 
So you can see more. There's an article that wrote it up that goes a little bit further than there from the side I got it from. We got it from um, one of the basically a, 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 a aggregate site such as we are that pulls stories from other places. And the Herald, the, uh, the Nicholas brothers, Fayard and Harold, um, have not been gone that long, essentially. Fayard died in 2016 and uh, Harold um, dying in 2000. So if you are a fan of the old school uh, dance numbers in the movies, such as the Fred Astaire did, they did have somewhat a little extra uh, melanin in, in it. So a little extra color, if you will. And this is one that I actually remembered seeing from a, as a kid in, you know, somewhere. So it's a cool article, cool checkout, and a lot of people dug this one, the number one Facebook story of the week. So let's get to the number one story of the week. Um, and we'll, we'll talk more about it in the next segment when we go into our house cleaning segment, the, uh, going through and tell you, you know, how this happened. But here's the, the, the basics. We posted a lot of stories with this guy's name in it this week. And so it was unfair to not put them together to show the full impact. It was not quite the top Facebook story, although it was fairly high, but it was the top Twitter story by leaps and bounds because of the nature of Twitter. It is the top story of the week. It gets a bump response from the 10 story this week, which, of course, was that Himalayan salt is just salt. By the way, Himalayan salt is just salt. The bump response of 386%. Number 200 story, which is our almost relevant story, which we'll reveal coming up next segment. Its response was higher, was 8,736% higher, or 8,736% higher, if you can understand any of that stuff. A whole lot more than that one. This story, it was a very large story, and as my grandma would say, the young man told a pretty long story. Here's the headline that we wrap things up with, and trust me, I'm seeing breaking news pop up in my browser as I'm recording this one. So we'll talk about that in a second as well. Jesse Smollett arrested and faces a felony charge for allegedly firing false police report. If you've not been following the saga of Jesse Smollett, then you've not, you, you, you may be living on a different planet. Cause even if you live under a rock, everyone is talking about Jesse Smollett, everyone from people trying to support him, to people using him as a ways to break things down, to people pushing for more MAGA stuff, to people trying to push the MAGA stuff down. The original story was Jesse Smollett was leaving a subway around 2 in the morning. He finished some sort of acting work and was hungry. So he went to the subway at 2 in the morning. Not a big deal by himself. Not a big deal. He was attacked by two white guys wearing MAGA hats who beat him up, put a noose around his neck, and poured some chemical, assuming it was bleach, on his head. Shouting, this is MAGA country, and saying he was targeted because he's semi-famous, he is black, and he is gay. The black part's pretty obvious. The semi-famous, there you go. The gay part, not so obvious, but there you go. This turned into a lot of weirdness from the police report where he didn't want to turn over his cell phone. He didn't want to go to the cop with the cops to the to the um, to the hospital. Uh, a lot of stuff going on. Couldn't find surveillance video. And I was, I won't say I was a big supporter of Jesse Smollett, but I was one of the folks saying, you know, I can't wait till this gets sol- resolved, resolved, not solved, because we've figured out what we thought it was going to happen because these things shouldn't happen. Hate crimes are bad. All these things are wrong. It's kind of weird that, you know, we don't have any surveillance video and stuff like that. That's kind of weird. But, you know, we're, we'll, when we get all the pieces together, we will know the truth and we will see that this is a bad thing. Here's the problem. It was all a lie. Apparently, Jesse, of course, 
made it up. He cooked up the theme with uh, the two two African brothers of all things, two guys from Nigeria, one of them who actually is an extra on on the show that he's in Empire and apparently sent text messages, gave him the plot, the plan, wrote a check for what was going on. It was all sorts of serious silly. In fact, there was a letter sent about the week before with some white powder to the set of Empire sent to Jesse, which is found to contain aspirin, which is a white powder when you crush it up. So from all the silliness going there, there was the story and then there was a change in story. And then, then the police apparently said it's, it seemed like it was cooked up. And then they backed away from that statement. And then the brothers came forward and basically spilled their guts. And then Jesse was supposed to show up for some questioning and he didn't. So then all the detectives, 12 of them working a thousand hours of overtime, walked upstairs to the grand jury, followed by, by the reporters who just hang out there, spilled their guts. Warrant came out. Uh, Smollett came in around three, four in the morning so he could uh, escape the, the paparazzi, did his stuff, whatever. Uh, what we stopped posting, after we stopped posting this, Jesse Smollett went back to work the next day and tried to tearfully apologize to the peeps at Empire saying, no, this is not me. I, I, I got to believe me. He has since been... Um, suspended from Empire. I'm not sure how they're going to do that in the actual writing and filming of the show, but he's been suspended from his job, suspended from being on the show while this is being resolved, whatever that means. So this is the part where I get to say, why did this idiot do this? And it was there. He's been beaten up for, for good reason by many folks. If you are in the States and help to see the viral stuff on Charles Barkley talking about last night, it was hilarious and it was totally true. But one thing that's that is not being lost in this and people are saying as an after action is that there are actual hate crimes out there. Some hate crimes are being produced by people in the MAGA country as well. So that's a, a slight aside to that. I'm not going there today, but there are people out there being attacked for being something not not being white, not being black, not being straight not being in the right frame and not being in the right neighborhood. And there's so much of this weirdness going on in just society and just for various people. There's there's a bunch of different white actors who are saying really dumb things or having dumb things they said in the past come back to haunt them. There are a bunch of white politicians who are saying dumb things or having dumb things they've done in the past coming back to haunt them. And while it's easy to say it's all bad, throw the book at them, get rid of them, there is some... There's some semblance of forgiveness and change and things going on. But when you have something like this happen, this guy who, as someone pointedly said, wanted more attention for being a victim than for being kind of famous because being a victim would help him negotiate a bigger salary for the show that he may or may not have been getting kicked off of. We have a problem. We have a problem. This is beyond Instagram famous. This is beyond that, you know, plus one lifestyle. We have a problem when we think we should get away with being victimized or using our victimhood as a step up. Why would someone do that? If you are an actual victim going through an actual issue, we want to help you get through your actual issue so you can get as close to whole as possible. If you are going to play a victim because it gets you you know, what it is you want, especially if you're going to lie about it. It's ridiculous. Jesse Smollett has 
of course, pushed back, not, not forever, but it's pushed back at least temporarily, any sort of black rights issue, any sort of gay rights issue, any sort of issue against white supremacy and nationalism. All those issues that got sucked into the story are now have to be tossed aside just as if someone went to trial for a false case, gets convicted for whatever reason, or gets, or gets some of the punishment, only to find out that they didn't do it by some very, very convincing evidence to the contrary. People on death row that are being found 20, 30 years later because of DNA testing now that they didn't do the crimes that they said they didn't do. So unfortunately, we're not done with Jesse Smollett. We can't be done with Jesse Smollett because we've got to deal with the consequences and we've got to be introspective on all ends. Like I said, I was in the guy's corner at the beginning of it. I saw a bunch of stuff on there and said, hey, this man's standing up for, you know, after this thing. The circumstances seem kind of weird. So, But the story, as I often say, don't let, you know, the truth get in the way of a good story. The story was great. The story made sense. And the story was easy to sell. The problem is the facts in the background did not match. So we're not done with Jesse Smollett yet. We'll be done with him fairly soon as a footnote to history. But the issues that it brought up, and sometimes the fact that sometimes we jump on a story too quickly and believe people too quickly because we think we should, because we think we know them till we don't, that says something about us. It also says something about you guys that these were the top 10 stories we had for the week. These are all very important stories. Every story up there that makes there that you care about is important because, as we say, it's not always about what's the breaking news and the Chiron stuff. It's really about what stories, what news things, what things in the know you really want to talk about. And thank you so much, every single one of you who participated this week. And it really was as simple as just scrolling through your feed and seeing the thing because seeing it is an engagement. Acting with it engages even more. So if you see us, one of our stories, in your Twitter feed, TH underscore conversation, or Facebook, this is the conversation.com, and it really gets your goat, or it makes you laugh, or it just makes you go, huh? Respond to it, reply, like it, love it, share it, do something to engage with it, and you can send me a message with it as well. You can also follow us on Facebook, um, or sorry, on Instagram, at This Is Conversation, where we post every day the little square that tells you what the top five stories are of the day. Weekends, too, if we get a chance to that. And check out the main website for the podcast and all information there, plus a link to every single story we talk about today at thisisconversation.com. Look for the link for this week's podcast and subscribe. Make sure you're in there so you don't miss out on the podcast. We're going to make it so that um, you get the details in there as well. Subscribe and you get all the big finer points of what we have going on. News where lies. We, oh, yeah, we have a newsletter as well that we're going to get kicking back in again. So enough about me until I try to sell myself again in like 30 seconds. Coming up in the next segment, we will do some housekeeping and we'll talk about story number 200 this week, which is, as we call it, the almost irrelevant story of the week. That's coming up in moments here from The Wrap-Up Show with me, Jay Cleveland Payne, from thisistheconversation.com. This is for the week ending February the 23rd, 2019. Yesterday, I had an eye appointment, my first one in a year and a half, and I'm glad I have medical insurance to do that. 
But I basically had this upgrade. It went, uh, got a little faster doing my eye appointment because my wife just had an eye appointment a little while ago as well. Hers was a bit delayed. She hadn't had one in about two and a half years. And she was needing new glasses. I bought glasses last time I had my eyes checked, so I had some glasses bought online from one of those um, discounted places that you know give you the really cheap glasses for very little money. Not a lot of, not a lot of hype, not a lot of fuss, all that stuff. But you get a cheap, basic pair of glasses. My wife went to an actual shop in town and went through all the rigmarole of dealing with what needed to be done with to get a pair of glasses, which was more hassle than it needed to be. So I got my eyes checked. I'm set and ready to go, and I am going to hit up one of our newer sponsors for this show, a sponsor who's been attached to some other projects that we finally got onto the conversation, and that's Warby Parker. You've been seeing plenty of their ads all over the place because they do something very simple, and it's a very deep background. A guy was trying to figure out why it costs so much to buy a pair of glasses when there are programs that allow people all over the world who make as little as $4 a day to afford glasses. So with a little bit of seed money, he took those he took those same principles and made a company and made a batch of nice-looking designer glasses for $99 and sold out of the first batch immediately. If you think that story is amazing, the way they operate, they send you a pair of glasses for $99, and for every pair you buy, they go ahead and donate a pair on that. And they're good-looking glasses, quality-made glasses, and glasses you can be proud of. Check them out by going to our website, thisistheconversation.com slash Warby Parker, W-A-R-B-Y Parker. Thisistheconversation.com slash Warby Parker. We get a little extra special discount by visiting through our link we're glad that you're here to visit and hang out with any of our sponsors because they're all doing great things for you. But this week, a spotlight on Warby Parker. A, I use most of our sponsors, and this is one that I am going to spend real money on today. I just got my eye exam yesterday. I've got my new prescription. I'm going to go to the website and take care of it, and I'll let you know how it works out as well. You should check them out and let us know exactly how well it works out for you with Warby Parker. Check them out at thisisaconversation.com slash Warby Parker for a great deal on your next set of glasses. Simple, easy, inexpensive. They make the experience grand for you and your eyes at Warby Parker. Quickly into the housekeeping because it got really, really real towards the end of the listing. We're going to go from um, bottom to top of what's going on from there. The bottom-ish, the things that are out there, the tie at 7 and 8. Uh, so as we said, when we have a tie, we basically try to wait it out by the older story gets the higher speed. We don't like it to be two eights. We have a seven and eight for, for a reason, so it sort of makes sense. So technically, the number seven story is the fire in Bangladesh. The number eight story is the police officers at the manufacturing uh, plant who were shot in that incident there. Uh, we, what we do is we have a weighted system on Facebook and Twitter, and the numbers kind of work themselves out uh, via how many impressions they get and how much engagement each story gets. The seven story was a bigger Facebook story. The eight story was a bigger Twitter story. So that's just the way it worked out. But when you add the two together and mesh everything together, they came out to be exactly the same, which is why they were the tied story. Both of them uh, with a bump response of 4.9% uh, higher than the nine story. 
and both of them with a uh, lower bumper response of 15.89% from the number six story. So we've been refining how we're doing the ties and doing our best to make sure we don't have ties. This one worked out that way, and this worked out perfectly. We'll see. If it comes out to be on the same day, uh, we'll flip a coin or something. The computer will figure out which one is older, maybe by, you know, which was posted earlier in the day, and work out from there. Now for the Jesse Smollett stories, I believe we had six different postings throughout the week. Um, and obviously we post about seven and a half days. We stretch from, um, from Friday morning to the next Friday morning with the time. So it's seven and a half ish, eight days worth of content to pull from. However, this is one that, like we said, the story kept getting weirder from where it started last week. So there are all these updates that seem like they were, they were hitting on, on all full cylinders in the rough estimate in the rough draft. Uh, it looked like Jesse Smollett's story was going to hit five out of 15 spots uh, between the top 10 in the unweighted version. When we put all the numbers together, they got shifted a bit more. So by that time, I'd already decided I was going to pull them together because there were so many stories. It was unfair to do all these things together. And so that's how it came out. As I said, it was not the top Facebook story this week, but it was pretty high, pretty close uh, to a top, um, basically when the top five of the Facebook stories posted. Number one story on Facebook was the dance routine uh, that, that was posted, that was done in one take 75 years ago. Now, it was the top Twitter story, and that was because a lot of it was breaking news and, and popped up on Twitter a lot, so a lot of feeds picked it up in the um, essentially by hashtagging Jesse Spoulette. So it popped up a lot of impressions on that end. So it was by leaps and bounds the number one Twitter story. But remember, we added five stories together. So it was leaps and bounds because of that. Uh, regardless, it would have been a high story or high stories, as we said, making a, a lot of those stories, making their way into the top 15, regardless of any moving around. We want to make things simple since there were going to be some conflict on different elements of the story. We just wanted to made the we just basically talked the whole story and made the headline the fact that he got arrested. Obviously, this story is not done, but we're done with it for right now. We're gonna find out how, how this thing rolls out because we're not done with Jesse Smollett, unfortunately. So let's get to the story we need to talk about in this segment. That is the almost relevant story of the week. We call it that because it is the lowest scoring story that we have left. It's at number 200. We have 200 distinct different posting this week. We took out all the extra Jesse Smollett's, and it came down to 200 different posts. And it's usually something that's posted fairly late. And this one is posted fairly late, but basically early morning, Friday morning as we record this. And it's something that usually comes out to be something interesting because a lot of those stories get, get kind of swapped down there because they just don't have the breaking news appeal. And this is one that actually was – Pretty interesting, and it's, it's amazing that it popped up here. If we would have popped up earlier in the week, I think it would have um, had more more of juice. But it actually was a story that I've seen a couple times, a couple places. This is just the one we actually posted for the week. The headline reads, Kickstarter to permanently delete the painfully symbolic last scene of the department. The departed goes viral. Excuse me for all of that butchering. Let me read you from Bro Bible. Bro Bible is popping up a lot lately. Apparently, the algorithm that is feeding me various sources um, liked the fact that I liked the Bro Bible story a while back, so it keeps feeding these stories. And like this, I said, this story I've seen a couple times across the internets. We just happen to pull it from here. 
when it came and it was posted whenever it was. The Departed is a tremendous movie and near flawless piece of cinematic storytelling, except for one stupid throwaway scene. Fans of the Boston mob flick have one tiny but extremely painful bone to pick with Martin Scorsese, the effing rat scene at the end of the movie. There is now a movement to leap the corny ass rat scene from The Departed. For some reason, Scorsese put the excruciating, obviously symbolic rat in the very last scene of The Departed. The rat at the end of The Departed is as subtle and as a jackhammer to the face. Now, The Departed superfans want to improve the film by getting rid of the rat. The Departed is Scorsese's most financially successful movie, and it made nearly $300 million in the worldwide box office. But there is a damn rat. Adam Sachs was pitched the idea of digitally removing the rat from the 2006 film starring Jack Nicholson, Leonardo DiCaprio, Matt Damon, Mark Wahlberg, and Martin Sheen. Sachs is so serious about killing the rat that he started a Kickstarter campaign to correct the ending. Sachs' Kickstarter titled, Digitally Erase the Rat from the End of the Departed. Skipping ahead, the Kickstarter exceeded their goal of $4,000 at the time of publication. The campaign raised $4,152, so the Departed could actually be... uh, fixed although they're probably not going to fix it this is one of those those silly things that pop up because we can have petitions for anything and that's how things go so it is what it is it was what it was no one's coming to fix the departed for you i'm sorry just gonna have to roll with it coming up in segment number three shout outs and we will round out the top 15 the stories that didn't quite make it into the top 10 Maybe a little bit why and for the weekend wrap up here from This is the Conversation with me, Jay Cleveland Payne. This is for the week ending February the 23rd, 2019. And now a quick moment to take a pause and promote some other stuff I got going on. This is two podcasts at one location for a very, very good cause. This is my yourbetteryou.info website where I work on my personal development work, where I actually help people get better in their business and their lives. And I have two webs, two podcasts, you'd say, attached to this website. One is called Steps Your Better You, the original podcast for the site, which is 90 seconds of quick personal improvement information for you to take and work with. The other, called the 10-Minute Life Lesson, is a 10-Minute Life Lesson. You're done. In 10 minutes, the lesson is over. Simple. Period. So check both of those out and check out what I can do for you if you're looking for a little help in the personal improvement game. If you're trying to get a little bit better in something, I can maybe help you out with that. See what's going on at yourbetteryou.info. That is yourbetteryou.info. And check out the websites. Check out the podcasts. one of them has to be fitting your lifestyle and time-wise. I mean, if 10 minutes is way too much time, 90 seconds has to be somewhere there. Find these podcasts and other podcasts at my main website for podcasting stuff, More Better Media. But check out yourbetteryou.info, the site for these actual projects, and see if you enjoy them and if I can offer up any further assistance. It is time for Shout Outs. And we start off with Twitter today, going through the feed of people who have showed us extra love by joining this week, following us on Twitter, TH underscore conversation. And 
replying, sharing, loving things inside the feed, including Simple Heart Radio, Victoria Dalton, AARP Goddess, one of our usual players there, new people coming in, including the Hate This Podcast, also new folks coming in, Deborah Kenny, and we have in uh, Jay Warner Wallace, another person with a you know, initial for a first name and the Neanderthals for a nice little conversation we had inside of the Twitter on Facebook, which is, of course, at this is the conversation. Make sure we're in your feed so you can see it. Make sure we're actually set to be seen in your feed. Uh, Farah Hegon, also Vicki Young, Kate Barnett and Vicki Young again. Um, Boss Mac Holman, uh, my man Kwame Abdul Bay, of course, talked about him giving me the link for the dance sequence coming up. Uh, Deborah Lee, Christine, Christina Beavers, Little Mama, It's a Breadwoman, jumping in again. Thank you so much, all you folks, for being a part of the actual conversation. If you want to be in the conversation and get a shout out, just go to the website and make sure you do something significant like like, love, share, or reply to one of our stories. And I'll probably see it and I'll probably get to you. So it's cool like that. So before, well, let's just let's just be done with this. Move on to the rounding out the top 15. The 15 stories or the five stories aren't quite good enough for the top 10 because it's been a long day apparently. So let's go ahead and stop all the yakking and get the yakking done. We're going to start with story in the number 11 spot, which is this very sad one. 27-year-old man allegedly kills his parents and their housekeeper in California. Saturday the 16th of February was the date this story was posted and it came to us from a BuzzFeed article. So very quick read into some of it. Southern California man was arrested Wednesday in connection to the death of his parents and their housekeeper in their gated community of Newport Beach. Newport Beach Police Department said they had arrested Camden Nicholson, 27, for the murders of Richard Nicholson, Kim Nicholson, and Maria Morse. Newport Beach Police spokesperson Heather Rangel said Richard and Kim were Camden's parents. Morse was the family housekeeper. Police said they received a call from a welfare check for a welfare check at Newport Beach House on Wednesday. When officers arrived at the residency shortly before 9 p.m. They found three people dead. Authorities have arrested ne- neither the matter of death nor a suspected motive. But according to the Orange Register, Orange County Register, police made contact with Camden Nicholson in the emergency room of the Irvine Medical Center on Wednesday evening. It was that contact which reportedly prompted them to perform the wellness check on his parents' home. This is one that we'll see if we can get more details from it, but you can go and see the the link for this story at the website, thisistheconversation.com. Look for the uh, link for, look for this, the article on this week's podcast, and you can find links to all the stories there so you don't have to miss the full details when we have to run through some of these. We're trying to wrap this up at this point, and this is one that gets really, really, really deep really quick. The next one, a 12 story, not quite as deep, but this one also very serious. And this is something that the joke is while many radio people and just broadcast people in general feel like they've died on air many times. This man actually almost died on the air. Uh, Mark Belling had a stroke on the air. That's the headline on the 12 spot. We get this from Radio Inc. And it was a big deal in Milwaukee where he's on the air there, WISN Milwaukee. He's a conservative talk show host who was on the air February 11th and basically had a stroke during the break. He's recovering. He's doing much better. He'll get back to work fairly soon, I'm sure. But this person literally had a stroke, was dealing going through the stress while performing his, his job. Um, 
you may know him for filling in for Mark, for Rush Limbaugh on a national on a national scene. So he's not a totally unknown guy. He's got some national attention, which is why he's written up in his trade radio Inc. But it's not the most. I think it's interesting. Some folks don't think it's interesting because it's inside baseball for the radio stuff. Let's move on to the 13 story here. Sorry for the rushing. It just seems like we need to just get this through this thing. Honda Ridgeline recall because car wash soap can break it. Posted on Saturday, February 16th. Let me get a little deeper in this very quickly. Uh, about 106,000 trucks are actually affected by this. What the issue is, it's not so much you put a squirt of dishwashing liquid onto the car and it falls apart. The big issue is a very serious one. Um, exposure to acids, including car wash soaps, may result in the fuel pump feet uh, port cracking. That's the, the connection between the fuel pump and the rest of the car, essentially, which, of course, means it could catch on fire when the fuel leaks out of that spot. This is a very serious issue, although the joking aside in the actual headline, we pulled it from MotorOne.com, which is a, basically a just kind of a car-ish site. So that's why they got cute with it. But this is a very serious issue for a serious car. If you have a a ridge line, you might want to get it checked out since 106,000 of them may have this problem. Number 14 on this week, JP Morgan rolling out the first U.S. Bank, bank-backed cryptocurrency to transform payments business. So JP Morgan is getting into the cryptocurrency game, but it's mostly, as it says, to use for for conversion of currency into cryptocurrency, not so much selling the cryptocurrency itself. Friday, February 15th, the date for that one. They're the first big bank stepping into the game of this one because the biggest issue with cryptocurrency is, is it real? Will it last? What's going on with it? We will see. Now that this is a fairly big jump into, leap into the pool of cryptocurrency for JP Morgan, we're going to see how this works out for their transitions and how they'll be able to pay more people in different things. Now, cryptocurrency. And number 15 story this week, Meghan Markle's baby shower costs $200,000. That's, yes. We got this from a website called smartnews.com, and they do kind of, I'll say because I'm a dude, silliest articles on silly things like baby showers for princesses. Uh, but um, because she's a, also a Hollywood actress and a princess, she has friends who have lots and lots of money who could pay for a $200,000 baby shower. Uh, all sorts of weirdness would happen, as you would expect. Uh, Serena Williams paying a big chunk of it. She she actually paid for the suite, which was $75,000 a night to have the whole shebang. And we're told that all the people that got there got a great, great gift bag because that's what happens when you go to showers. You get a great gift bag. Um, it cost Meghan Markle $100,000 just to get there via private jet. Of course, there were the reports early in the week that, hey, Meghan Markle's back in the States. What's going on? It was for this big deal um, baby shower. Forgive me, I'm a guy, and trust me, baby showers, not exactly my bag. But I do know one thing, and that's one thing for sure. We done, we out, we got in the full 15 plus one of the top stories and the very bottom story for this week. Week ending February 23rd, 2019 from you guys. You guys do the work. I just sort of 
put some numbers together and read some stuff from this is the conversation.com and the weekly wrap-up show which is now officially wrapped up thank you so much for being a part of the show we cannot do any of this stuff without you following us on social media instagram this is the conversation facebook this is the conversation twitter th underscore conversation and of course our website this is the conversation.com when you follow us on social media and you see the news stories in your feed all you have to do is do what you're doing already respond to them, engage with them, like them, love them, share them, hate them, reply, do what you need to do to show me that you love it, hate it, or really kind of dig it. And the more response they get, the more engagement that pops up, the higher score they get every single week till we get a top 10, just like we did, oh, 30 minutes ago in this podcast. If you want to make sure you don't miss the podcast, subscribe to it as well. Look for the subscription buttons at the main website, thisistheconversation.com, or just search for it on wherever your favorite pods are caught. We are on Apple iTunes Podcasts. We are on Stitcher, on Spreaker, on Google Podcasts. And if you're a YouTube person who likes to listen to their audio on the YouTube, I do it all the time, look for us on YouTube as well. Make sure that you are sharing the conversation that is the whole conversation platform with other people, whether they are your best friends, your hated enemies, or just literally people you walk up to on the streets. Grab their phones, plug it in, subscribe to the podcast, show them a couple links. Trust me, they will thank you profusely for it. They always love it. They always do. Every new person who gets their phone snatched from them and get it handed back to them with this podcast are always better for it. Just go with me on that one. You can respond to the podcast by emailing at the conversation inbox at gmail.com or just visiting our website, this is the conversation.com. And of course, my own personal playground of stuff that may or may not be doing on time, may or may not be on schedule, is at my main website, jclevenpain.net. Email me at jclevenpain at gmail.com. Once again, this was the wrap up show for This Is the Conversation with me, Jay Clevenpain, for the week ending February the 23rd. 2019. Thank you for making this thing happen and join us again next week for more news stories that goes beyond the Chirons and a little bit deeper than the first couple of pages into the Google search so you can get the real conversation and the real stories you want to talk about from us at this is a conversation.com.